Good morning. It's Esti Schreiber here from SA Natural Products, the home of living naturally. And with me, as always, Dr. David Nodia, homeopath and the head of the medical and research department of SA Natural Products. Good morning, Dr. David. Good morning to you as well. We spoke about pregnancy and we've broken it up into the three trimesters in our previous podcast. And today we're taking it further. What to do once this baby is now born? Baby nutrition. What is the right thing to feed? What if I can't breastfeed? So to continue on our topic about this new little life that's coming to the world, it's important to understand what to expect when. Breastfeeding a child from birth, that is, common sense tells us that is the best thing that you can do for this child. Yeah, so that's both both not only common sense, but science confirms that as well and research. There is there's astounding amount of evidence supporting breastfeeding and the health benefits of breastfeeding, not only for the baby, but for the mother as well. Tell us more about that. If you look at all the literature, then there's an abundance of literature confirming each other. So we're not talking about one or two studies. We're talking about a wealth of literature. So, I mean, the benefits for baby include the prevention of a whole host of potential problems um, with breastfeeding. Things like allergies, asthma, um, reducing the risk of diabetes in, wow. in infants, reducing their risk of infections and like respiratory tract infections and ear infections, um, reducing their risk of getting pediatric gastro and diarrhea. Um, but the other interesting things as well promote speech and the development of these milestones of speech. You can think about the breastfeeding and the sucking action um, involved. Um, but nutritionally also enhances or improves the development of vision It also reduces the risk of cavities, you know, using breast milk versus formula milk. So there's an extensive amount of evidence supporting the health benefits for baby. And then on the mother's side, research shows that she's also protected against a variety of potentially serious illness, including things like breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Um, It also reduces her risk of type 2 diabetes, uh, blood pressure, um, but interestingly also the bonding process is really important and breastfeeding reduces the risk of postpartum depression in mothers, which is quite interesting. And then, of course, there's the other benefits that most women will appreciate is it helps them return to their pre-pregnancy weight a lot quicker. So um, these are all some of the benefits. There are others, but these are the ones that have been confirmed by a significant amount of research. When it comes to breast milk, the very first night your baby's just been born and the baby latches on, and starts to drink. You are not now full of milk. It, no. you, it, the first milk that comes through is colostrum. What is colostrum and why is it so important? It's not a thin, watery milk that we would think of. Colostrum is like a thick, almost yellowish type substance. And that is packed with all the antibodies. So remember that the baby gets antibodies from the mother. And those antibodies then will offer the baby at least temporary protection against a whole host of infections. So the colostrum is really, really important and packed with those antibodies. And only after about three days does the milk start forming. What they call the milk comes in as they say after about three even sometimes four days but it's important that during that time although the milk hasn't fully come in the the baby must still suckle because that stimulates the coming in of the milk for the mother so around about three days later you start getting the thin more watery whitish milk as breast milk as we would know and then you as a woman feel that you're filling up now with milk when your baby needs to feed or you can feel that you are ready for the next feed itself just a question when a baby's born and they weigh baby and they weigh baby now at three days or four days 
days. Surely, because the child has not consumed a lot of milk, they will reduce in weight slightly. Yes, that's quite common for a slight reduction, and in that's、weight. normal. Yes, and you're not expecting now to have a bowel movement and、um, lots of wet nappies. That is not going to happen those first few days. It is、no. all about the preparation of this child's immune system and digestive system. Remember, seventy to eighty percent of your immune system is found in your gut. From your mouth right down to the bottom, and that child of yours that has just been born comes from a sterile environment into a non-sterile environment, and this child now needs to have immunity against the pathogens that they can be exposed to. And mom is the one, and dad and the family are the ones that are giving to this newborn child. Hence, why the suckling is important, the birth through the vaginal canal is important, because in all of those areas, the child is picking up organisms that. The, that builds immunity, so the colostrum now prepares the digestive system for this milk that's going to come. So here by day three, four, five, you can start expecting your breast to fill, and that you are now making enough milk for your child. But that latching on of the child that is also very important. A new mom doesn't know how to latch a baby. You, when you've breastfed a child before, you will know how to do it. The brown part—what do you call that part of the breast? The areola. Areola. That part of the breast needs to be in the child's mouth. They must not suckle just on the nipple. Your child, when they come for the breast, the baby will naturally open their mouth and move their head, and they are trying to find the nipple. They're finding the breast. They have to open their mouths wide enough to latch onto the whole areola.、Mm. So that that whole brown part of the nipple is in baby's mouth. Now it's not going to be painful because baby is going to not going to be sucking with their lips. They're going to suck with their whole mouth. You will notice when you watch your child drinking that it's more like a glunk glunk glunk, and the little tongue is around that whole nipple and receiving the milk. So it is. It's. Crucially important of how you present your breast to your child and how your child receives that breast、um, in order to latch on properly. And then the very key thing, a very important part, is when your child is starting to drink, make sure that your breast is empty before you turn them to the next breast to go and drink. Don't just quickly turn from the left to the right or the right to the left. And a a key point that my mom gave me when I had my my children, she said to me, Esty, you've got to put a clock next to you, and you've got to look at the watch, and you and you and you count three minutes. Your baby must never drink for longer than three minutes. Then you've got to take them off the breast as much as they want to stay on. You take them off the breast, and then you put them across your shoulder and you burp them so that you can get the wind out that little bit because they will always swallow air with the milk, and then you rub. Rub, rub until the wind has come out, and then you put them back onto that same breast, and you do that again. Three minutes on, off, and burp. Three minutes on, off, burp, and you do that until the breast is empty. And if the child has now consumed the milk for what, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes—that's how long a breastfeeding takes when the child is drinking. Not longer than that. Then it's done. If the breast is empty and you've needed to go to the next one, fine. But the next feed, you start on the one that you haven't finished yet. Before you go to the other one again, and interesting, a child always has a favourite side. What would you, as a doctor, recommend to mom to be able to make enough breast milk? One of the most important points is staying properly hydrated. 
remember your your fluid requirements are a lot or significantly high, and your nutritional requirements if you are a lactating mother. So eat properly and yeah, drink a lot of water. And drink properly, correct. Um, so those are the two two of the cornerstones, and there are different recipes and there, there are homeopathic remedies as well that help moms who are pr- not producing sufficient volumes of milk but usually if the diet's right and the 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 fluid intake is correct and stress levels are another thing to watch out for as well and to try and manage um, usually and there's sufficient stimulation there should be sufficient milk production and that stimulation happens because you are spending time with your child. Yeah. You you hear your child crying. You are aware that this child is now hungry and they see you and the little hands and the feet go. And it's like, oh, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And when mom is now undoing the buttons and getting her breast ready for baby, they know what's coming. This happens a little bit later when they realize they are my bottles and I'm going to get my food. They become so happy. And then when they drink, they are so happy. You can see the elation of this delicious food that they are getting for their bodies. What about a tonic from Natura? That's de- That's been used for a long time as one of the, the ingredients in different recipes or as a general supportive tonic during breastfeeding. Um, so that's a good example. There are specific homeopathic remedies that also are known to enhance or support the production of milk as well. So and the those, homeopath will give you that. Homeopath that is not something you get over the counter. No, you'll you'll get that from a homeopath. Um, but alfalfa certainly is is highly nutritious mm. um, and definitely something you can consider. Yeah, well, alfalfa tonic is is full of alfalfa is lucerne. And if you think of what lucerne does when a cow and sheep eat lucerne and the beautiful rich milk that they make, we are mammals too. When we take the extract of the alfalfa and we consume that, um, it helps our bodies to produce it too. But my recipe that I always say to moms and especially to breastfeeding moms is the thing there are two things that you've got to put into your body number one you must put biostrathin because biostrath you've been taking it throughout your pregnancy to ensure that your iron levels are stable and normal that you are you're you're nourished properly you're absorbing properly biostrath is just that must 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 product that every pregnant woman needs to have and every breastfeeding mom needs to use because it will go through your breast milk to your newborn. So that's the one product. And the other one is Dr. Fogel's Yurti Colson tablets. That is a little sleeping beauty in the range of A. Vogel. Yurti Colson tablets. U-R-T-I-C-A-L-C-I-N. This is a, a homeopathic formulation of calcium together with other minerals, all put in a very beautiful form that the body can absorb quickly. And it aids in the making of the baby's teeth and in the bones and overall connective tissue and health of this child. So that with your biostrath is a stunning combination. And then for mom that's breastfeeding, put in that alfalfa tonic and learn to have a glass of water next to you. Every time you're breastfeeding, drink that big glass of water down and it helps your body to produce a lot of milk. So this is now if a mom is able to breastfeed. How often should they be breastfeeding? What is the right intervals for a baby? It's variable, but on average you're looking between 8 and 12 times a day. In 24 hours? So, yes. So remember in the first few days, that baby's tummy is so tiny, the volumes are small, but the frequency is higher. So as a baby grows, the the intervals between breastfeeding gets bigger because baby can take more at once. So the you'll find that initially in those first few days, it's one to three hourly. 
um, and then as time goes down, it will eventually become every two to four hours, and they'll start sleeping longer in between feeds as well. But that's also directly related to that little tummy now getting bigger and therefore can hold more. So if a baby is now, you, you breastfeed your baby, it's the morning 6 o'clock and they fall asleep here at 7 o'clock again. And they only wake up at 11. It's now 4 hours later, 5 hours later. Do you wake them up at 9 o'clock to give them the next, next feed or do you well, let this is sleeping babies sleep? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely a debatable point. But in the beginning, there, there might be needs to wake, need to wake baby. Um, and baby won't necessarily wake up fully, but you just have to then put them onto the breast and then just stroke their face slightly or rub their chest slightly and they'll start sucking. Okay. So you, you don't wake them. You, you kind of just get them to start and automatically they'll start the sucking action, put them back on. And you'll also see when they're content. So they will feed until they show signs of they're full. They, they're becoming sleepy, nodding off, and then that's sufficient. You don't have to push it further than that. And you will look at your milestones that your baby is reaching. How often should one take your baby to clinic or to the doctor, pediatrician, whoever, to check that your child is developing properly, especially for new moms that just don't know? Well, for first-time moms, I think they need that support. Mm. Um, and depending on your – if you do do things like antenatal classes, they'll give you a schedule that you need to follow and come for your weighings and so on. But initially, it's quite frequent, um, and that's just to make sure that baby's gaining weight and that um, there aren't any breastfeeding issues. So they'll give, there'll be support for breastfeeding as well. But the most important thing is making sure that baby is gaining weight. Yes. Um, so that's very critical. And then they'll start checking for certain milestones at the different visits. Okay, so that's now for breastfed babies. And why is it that some women can't breastfeed? I know some women choose not to. They don't want to do it. They don't like that connection. They don't want to do it at all. So I I respect that. Um, For some women, they wish to do it, but they can't. Um, It's got to do, for some ladies, it's got to do with a nipple. What Mm. what happens? So nipple pain is definitely a a factor. Um, So cracked nipples can certainly be an issue. The process of breastfeeding shouldn't be painful. No. If it's done properly and the latching is correct, like you said just now, the only time it would get painful, um, especially in the beginning, is um, if the baby's not latching properly, if you've now developed a cracked nipple, normally that's in the first few weeks. And then the in that sort of discomfort phase goes away. As you become more, um, uh, you're getting it right, you know, and babies now learn to suckle properly, etc. Um, so you've got to watch out for maybe some cracked nipples. There are things to do about that. Um, but if you look at the research where they surveyed moms um, who stopped breastfeeding before six months, the, the common reasons for that was obviously needing to return to work. That's a reality. Uh, and we, in South Africa, we get four months maternity leave. So there's obviously the practicalities of having to return to work <clears throat> and working around that. About 20% of those moms said they didn't weren't producing enough milk. So that's something else to, to look at. So there's this anxiety, I'm not producing enough milk, I'm, therefore my baby's not getting sufficient nutrition, so I now need to switch over to, um, to bottle, for, bottle and formula. Um, and then about 20% um, said that it was just too inconvenient, you know, or they were, you know, it was too, caused too much fatigue. So there are, the different people have different reasons. Um, but it's quite interesting that, um, that these are the three main categories. And, and there have been a few studies that have looked at this. But the biggest thing is insufficient milk, soreness. And then, of course, mastitis can be a reason for moms also stopping breastfeeding. And that's one of the things that can actually cause 
pain during breastfeeding or even in between where the breasts become now there's an infection, a blockage, and then you get um, the breasts become really tender and painful and hot. Um, and of course, that was where you need to go and see your healthcare provider for, for treatment. So insufficient milk, soreness, mastitis, um, and then of course the practicalities of having to go back to work. And what do I do now? Those are some of the things that so when this. it comes to cracked nipples, what would you recommend as a homeopath um, a, a mom does not to get it? Is it a matter of rubbing something on? I, I just want to say here, when I breastfed my children, I breastfed both of them for 18 months. Um, so it, 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 at first it was often, and then later it became just one feed. Uh, at the end it became just one feed a day, that night feed. And um, closer from 12 to 18 months it was two feeds, one in the morning, one in the evening. But um, what mom taught me was how important it is to keep the nipple clean. So before you, before the child would drink, you just take cotton wool, um, a little bit of warm water, and you just wipe the nipple down. Once your baby has consumed the milk, you wipe the, the breast down again to stop any organism from being there and extra milk sitting there and to use little breast pads that will collect milk that because you will be leaking. And now you will have these two round circles on your breast that, that can show through your shirt. So wearing little breast pads that you change the breast pads throughout the day, you wash them again and you just dry them and you use them again. In that way, you you are protecting the breast, but you're also stopping any grounds for an organism to want to sit there and cause a, a an infection or something or irritation or inflammation on the skin. What else would you recommend a woman does if she says, I suffer with cracked nipples? So there are some good topical applications that you can use, um, which help keep the moisturize the nipple and and provide nourishment for the skin in that area as well. And there are also homeopathic remedies you can think of as well in that situation. But as you say, a lot of it, it's practical things about um, managing the actual skin around the area, preventing infections, as you say, um, and then getting the, the latching correct. Yes. That will actually help prevent the problem from developing in the first place. It's not it, 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 The main reason for the cracked nipple is how the baby is latched. Hmm. It's not necessarily you're something wrong with your skin. Correct. It's how the baby has latched. That is the most important thing. So getting the latching right from the day one is, is very important. And then keeping that breast clean. And of course, if you do put some cream or oil onto your breast, make sure that you clean it off before you feed Correct. your child. Correct. And then once the baby has consumed, clean again and then you can reapply it. So that is for a cracked nipple. What about a person that says they've got the nipples don't come? What is it? What, what happens when the nipple doesn't come out? It's inverted. Inverted nipples. Mm. That mom can't breastfeed. Mm. That, is, that, that is significantly more challenging. Not impossible. Um, but it, it will be a little bit more of a challenge. Will that mom find it easier to rather express and give the baby the milk through a bottle? Uh, that is what I would recommend. So if they before they just switch over to the bottle, try and express um, at least for as long as you can um, because you are, you're producing the milk. It's just that the baby can't. Um, baby can't suckle properly so then you could find that using a breast pump might be an option in those situations so when it comes to expressing milk is it something that you would take and you would use it immediately or is it something that you freeze and you put it away and then you would reheat it you can freeze breast milk um, and there's specific you you can keep it in the fridge for up to four hours um, and then, of course, you can freeze it, and you can use. You should use it within six months of freezing it, um, maximum twelve months, even if it's really properly frozen. 
Um, but it just in the fridge, you can express and keep it for up to four days. And you would go to your pharmacy and they would be able to, or you speak to your healthcare advisor and they would tell you where you can buy the pump. And surely they will also recommend what you put it in to seal it, to be able to, to, to keep it in the fridge. Correct. So that there's a whole procedure you should follow um, in that, you know, to get things right. But this is something that um, is really important. Say now you've had your four months maternity, you want to keep breastfeeding for six months, that's what the guidelines say, um, then expressing milk and then refrigerating and freezing is definitely the way to go. Especially for those feeds where you can't be at home to give it to your child. The first one in the morning, last one at night, or whenever you get home, from then on you can do again. But the ones during exactly. the day where you are not present and um, somebody else has got to feed. But, exactly. But that is the time of the day that you will be going and expressing at work and, and collecting your milk and putting it in the freezer. That's the secret. The secret is you have to express as often as you would have been feeding yes. to keep the stimulation going yes. because if you don't then the Body there's loses. less stimulation and then yeah. production decreases yeah. yeah so very important that you keep the the sequence there now what about the mom that can't breastfeed, doesn't want to breastfeed, and now baby's got to go on a formula? Which formula? Infant formulas, which are meant to be used from birth up to six months, are very, are very much regulated. So what goes into them, the different quantities of the nutrients, the fortification, there's a lot of regulation around that. And that's for, for to prevent things like deficiencies and or child becoming short in certain nutrients. It's a personal choice. There are, there are, it's also a, it's something you need to look at from a cost point of view as well because some of the formulas are very costly and maybe not sustainable to continue with for a whole six months if that is the case. So um, – you also need to look at, you know, there are some instances where um, some infants can only take a soya-based product. They can't have a lactose-based. So there are instances where um, certain infants won't tolerate certain types of formula. Then you need to try a hyperallergenic formula. Um, but this is these are things that you would discuss with your pediatrician or and whoever you your healthcare provider. And of course, seeing is is the milk going in? Is yes. it staying in? Yes. Is it being vomited straight out? Yes. Is it causing excessive wind or discomfort? That could be a sign that you need to look at some changing the brand of the formula. But a common mistake is that, especially when formula is used very early on, is mom is still figuring out how to feed baby and the feed establishing a feeding pattern. Um, and then sometimes, because things perhaps are a little bit challenging, they, they switch formulas too quickly. So they go from one and then maybe this, there's a bit of reflux or positing, then they switch to another one. And then baby's not getting a chance to get used to that particular formula. So it can be a little bit tricky in the beginning, um, and every child is different. So, you know, this is where you need to rely on your healthcare provider to give you the advice on what to do. And that midwife or that antenatal person Correct. that is walking alongside you, this is where you got to push on their buttons often just to guide you. They know they've been doing it for so long. They understand. They, they've heard it all. Just rely on this person to help you to determine what is the best for your child. And then when it comes to that bottle feeding, yep. is there a specific bottle that is important and the kind of teeth that one uses? Are all those things important? Historically, we didn't know that there were certain harmful substances in plastics and in rubber teats and in bottles. 
researchers now confirm this, and you will find now that these bottles are produced without these substances in them. That has largely been eradicated now. So you, whereas before, unfortunately, without us knowing and heating, there would have been some chemicals coming out of those, out of the plastics and out of the, the actual rubber teats. Mm. So that's largely taken care of now. Most brands have removed those substances. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, you also need to look at what your baby, again, it's variable. It's going to depend. There might be certain teats that your baby likes. Others come out too quick. Others are too slow. Um, what you've got to be careful about is not putting the bottle vertical. You've got to hold the bottle at an angle. And then this gets baby to work a little bit harder for the milk, but oh. it also stops uh, too much milk from pooling. In, in, in the, if you hold the bottle vertical, they can choke or cough. Or, yes. There are little techniques there as well. And, of course, there's the whole process you need to follow with preparing bottles. So this is why this is where bottle feeding becomes a little bit more challenging than breastfeeding. It's a lot of work. You've got to sterilize bottles and prepare them. It, it is more work. <laughs> um, so there is a there, there is quite a bit of uh, a protocol you need to learn there. And then of course getting it at the right temperature um, and um, that you need to then figure that out because of breast milk obviously comes at the right temperature, it's all ready for baby, whereas when you're making bottles, you have to go through the process of getting the temperature right um, before you feed baby as well, sterilizing bottles, as we said. For moms, when it comes to formulas, your baby will tell you and show you whether it is the right formula by yes. not having vomiting, burping easily, um, no uh, reflux, no uh, constipation or severe diarrhea or anything like that. Those are all signs to show it. A newborn baby... A a soiled nappy. Some parents will make contact with us and say, oh, "My baby must be constipated because um, I haven't had a. I don't get a soiled nappy every single day." Mm-hmm. Um, breastfed babies don't always give you a dirty nappy every day. They give you lots of wet nappies Correct. every day, but not always a dirty nappy. Correct. So it's not. It shouldn't be something that you should be concerned about. As long as you're getting around about six wet nappies a day. That means there's enough fluid going six. through. Yeah. You want to be have at least six wet ones a day. Then you know you're getting enough fluid. Okay. Um, I'm going to assume that that is based on the nappies that one purchases today. Yeah. Because those nappies can hold two or three urinations yes. before you will need yes. to change them. Yeah. No, correct. Where, where with a towel nappy, you can feel when it's wet and you want to change it. And a towel nappy, in the days gone by... You would want to have 12 to 14 nappies on the line. And then you know you've had a good day for Baba. Yeah, because yeah, they're highly absorbable. So they, they will hold quite a lot of fluid before they actually are wet, wet, saturated. Yes, and heavy. Correct. The formula, I mean, if you look at the, the frequency of feeding in the first few days, again, still small tummy, much more frequent, 30 to 60 mils every two to three hours. So that's quite frequent. And you could increase that if baby's showing signs of more hunger. And it's a total about 8 to 12 feeds in 24 hours. So fairly similar there. Um, and, of course, as baby's tummy gets bigger, um, of course, volumes increase. Frequency between feeds decrease. Uh, so it's a similar pattern with breastfeeding. Um, but, of course, you, you need to get prepared. And, and prepare your bottles in advance. Um, I learned this as a, as, a new, as a new dad. The first time mom left me with one of my daughters alone was I didn't have the bottles ready. And, um, of course, I paid the price. <laughs> get them ready because they're going to get hungry and you can't have babies screaming and then you scrubbing around trying to get bottles. They don't understand. No. It's okay. It's coming. Don't cry. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so that's from birth to four months. What to do? If your child is being bottle fed, please, this is the time where you've got to give your biostrath to that child too. For breastfed babies, mom's milk, her receiving the biostrath, going through the breast milk is more than enough. But should you be concerned, you're welcome to give your biostrath. It's a dummy dip two, three times a day that one gives a child of, of such a young age. But for a, for a bottle-fed baby, it's an absolute must, a formula baby. It's a must that you give them biostrath. And you can take the Yurtikolsen tablets and you squash them. You, you, you grind them between two teaspoons fine like a powder and you can make a little paste with it and just pop that into baby's mouth before a feed and so they can get that Yurtikolsen in as well. You'll do your child the best favor in the whole world. Listen to the next podcast to hear what to do from four to six months.